Welcome to the American Classroom Podcast with hosts Jared Taylor and Lindsay Croslin, where we explore all things education, pre-K through 12th grade. Welcome to the American Classroom, where we discuss the role of education in building a civil society. I'm Jared Taylor, and today with me is Kim Ellsworth. Today we'll be talking about master teachers with our special guest, Shalisa Arnold. So let's get started. Today we're excited to have Kim Ellsworth as my co-host. Thank you. And Kim is the Director of Education for Heritage Academy here in Arizona. Also joined today here is Shalisa Arnold, principal of our new Heritage Elementary in Mesa, Arizona. Shalisa is going to share some of her expertise on great teaching. Kim, Shalisa, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Excited Excited to be here. This is great. Great. This is the first of a series that we want to have of conversations on teaching, great teaching. Heritage, we don't go out and brag a lot. Sometimes we love to (laughs) brag about our teachers. That's right. And it's been fun. There's this funny little website, niche.com, that consistently rates Heritage as the great, the best teachers in Arizona, which is kind of funny. We probably won't stay there the whole time. There'll be others we rotate around, but it's kind of fun. But we do love teachers. We love great teaching as well. And that's one of the major priorities. So we're going to talk about that today. and love to hear some of the stories that you have. Before we begin, I do want to talk a little bit about one of our sponsors for this project, which is Liberty Kids Preschool. And so Liberty Kids is new as well. And it's one of our preschool lines that is probably the best way to get into our elementary schools, not just from a preference standpoint, but from a preparation standpoint. They talk together and they make sure that the extent you can with a five-year-old, get them ready for a a great kindergarten school year. So if you want a really safe, comfortable place for your three to five-year-old, take a look at Liberty Kids and uh, they're online and put a link in the show notes to where you can find Liberty Kids. But glad that they're a sponsor today. So before we get into the conversations, we need to learn a little bit about both of you. Okay. So Kim, maybe we can have you start. Tell us a little bit about your background and and why you decided to be a teacher once upon a time. Why I decided to be a teacher once upon a time. And then okay. said, yeah. My background is such that I have been in education for many years. I started wanting to be a teacher before I can even remember. I, my whole life, I wanted to be a teacher. One of the things I always tell people is I would come home from kindergarten and I had a little chalkboard and my three-year-old brother would have to sit there and listen to everything I learned in kindergarten oh. that day. <laughs> so to this day, that brother will tell me his math skills are because of me because so. I would make him learn whatever I learned. And I he, so he was always two years ahead because <laughs> every day I'd come home from school and he would have to learn what I learned. So I would love to be the teacher once I got home and into my own little chalkboard. So. You can say he, you did teach him everything he knows. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, he loves to hear that for sure. <laughs> so I have done that forever. So when I went to college, I always tell, it's hard for me sometimes when some of my high schoolers don't understand what they want to do because I just, how do you not know? Like I just knew what I wanted to do. And so I just went right into education. By the time I was 22 years old, I was in the classroom and actually started Heritage Academy is like my third year into teaching. So I've been in and out of education over the years, but I also ran a business, a music and student dance studio over the years. And so I kind of learned the business side of things. And then I also taught for many years and got into administration just because I wanted to be able to, I think, make a difference on a bigger level. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I can do that when I'm able to help influence teachers. Nice. Yeah. So that's well, me. we're going to have a series on school leadership as well. So we'll have you back on that to talk about running Split. schools. And Shalisa, you've got some background on that as well. <laughs> but Shalisa, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about your background and why you wanted to be a teacher to, 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 to begin. Yeah, well, uh, much like Kim, teaching kind of was in my blood. I found myself in teaching positions throughout my life at a very young age. 
I don't know that I knew I wanted to be a teacher right away. I just knew I wanted um, my life to impact children, whether that was a pediatrician. There was a, there was a stint at that. A pediatric dentist was also a thought for me. And ultimately, it became very clear that teaching is really where my heart was. There was really no looking back at that point. It was teaching full force ahead. I spent 14 years in the classroom um, teaching across the elementary spectrum. was fortunate enough to get to coach at the junior high level simultaneously, too. So for me, K-8 is really where my heart is, and there's not a thing I don't love about any of those ages, knucklehead status included. For me, they're all wonderful, and I'm thrilled that I get to be with them all the time. I couldn't choose between the two, whether that's classroom time or coaching time. If you asked me to pick one over the other, I wouldn't be able to do it. I liked the balance that that gave me. And so getting to be a K-8 principal really is the perfect fit for me, I feel like. And hopefully it's a good fit for my scholars and teachers as well. I was kind of drug kicking and screaming into administration after my 14th year of teaching. I was the ninth principal of our building in 14 years. So there was a lot of turnover that was happening in the leadership, and yet I was there for it all. And so my last principal that I had was taking a job at, at the high school and begged me to take over his position. He knew that that I uh, had the history and knowledge to kind of keep that campus on a roll and what needed to happen. And it was my fourth time saying no when I finally committed <laughs> that I will do that. I will take one for the team. I thought I would be a classroom teacher for the rest of my life. I loved it so much. The first year of administration was hard. The second year is really where my love for that role really started to develop. I did that campus for four years and then went to the district level um, to be the director of education there. I did that for three years, but my heart is really at the campus level where I can impact children and teachers on a very direct level. So given the opportunity to kind of open uh, here at Heritage, I mean, it's been a dream come true. I get the K-8, I get all of my children with that entire spectrum. And my teaching experience, I think, helps me manage a campus of the size that we have. But for me, there was no looking back. It's what I was meant to do. And I love every second of every day. That's and I good. just know that she said it was a dream come true. So that's good. <laughs> she, might, she might do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's good. I want to hear about your favorite teachers growing up. I have one. If anyone ever asks who my favorite teacher was, she was my second grade teacher, Miss Mayetta, Mayetta. state of Washington. Oh. Yeah, I lived all over. I lived, I've lived in about 10 different states. And so I lived in Washington at the time, and she was just one who loved me. And I knew that she loved me. I remember she was getting married that year. She asked me to be one of her little flower girls. And like just uh-huh. that connection. She never got married. So that was sad. That was oh, right. the story. <laughs> she know, I never got to okay. be in the wedding. However, <laughs> just the fact that we had that connection, that she loved me that much, just made me want to be better. I remember not being able to say my math number correctly. I think it was like 356,000. 251 or something, some number, right, (laughs) that you had to say correctly, and I couldn't say it. And so she had to teach me how to say those numbers correctly. And I only wanted to do it because I wanted her to think I could do it, right? It was for her. And so that connection, I think, is what did it for me. And no one ever beat her out. She's been my favorite Second grade. Second Second grade is a sweet spot, I tell you. I mean, you you catch kids in second grade for sure. Well, she got me. Yeah. I love her. And I don't know where she is to this day, but it'd be super cool to find yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Interesting side note. So my favorite teacher was my third grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Snow. I remember every teacher. They all have made such a great impact um, for me. I've been very fortunate in the teacher department, but Mrs. Snow was my third grade teacher. And I still wasn't in contact with her until probably a few years ago. I still oh, was wow. able to reach out to her. And when I was just starting my first year of teaching, I said, Mrs. Snow, it's because of you. I want to be a teacher because of you. I want to be you to my my students. And she said, oh, Shalisa, don't teach third grade. 
go second. Right after you, I taught second grade and I've never taught anything else. So it really is second grade. I mean, it's a sweet spot. (laughs) And I took her advice because, you know, when Mrs. Snow speaks, you listen. And I took her advice and I taught second grade for five years. And it is really a great beginning. If I have a new teacher that kind of says, yeah, I like the elementary, the lower elementary, I always want to start them out in second grade. It's such a great spot for them to really hone their skills without the pressures that come maybe of third grade, but the neediness that kind of exists in first grade, second grade is really a good sweet spot. And Mrs. Snow gave me that advice. And clearly you, you were impacted by a second grade (laughs) teacher as well. (laughs) But she, to the same tone that, Kim was talking about, she took an invested interest in me. And that's really what it was about. My my parents were going through a divorce at that time. And I don't know that my mom ever really reached out to her. I don't know that, but I felt like she knew that about me and that I needed a little extra love. Not that I felt it was different. I was a very easy child. I was a very good student, but I felt like she knew me and she knew what I needed. And she invested in me that year and gave me what I needed far beyond academics, I feel mm-hmm. like. And I feel like that's the mark yeah. of a, a truly great teacher. Yeah, yeah, that's good. There's a big difference in a teacher that's interested mm-hmm. versus interesting. Yes. Ooh, <laughs> right. I like that. I do right. like I, that a I, lot. I got that from somebody else, but Lee Brower, give the reference mm-hmm. to, to that one. He drove that point in a little lesson. I love that. Be interested. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. a whole other Yeah, topic. they really are. When I went to elementary school, I actually had two teachers two times, Mr. Jackson and Mr. Gomez. I don't know. Twice. Two men teachers too. We don't see as many men in education. We need more men in education. We do, absolutely. Mr. Gomez is probably one of my family favorites, my favorite. I was the first one to have him and he he made learning easy and fun. And you talk about this a lot. I do. You talk about that a lot. And and when I was thinking about it, I'm like, Shalisa about that. It's yeah. the Mary, Mary Poppins <laughs> effect, I call it. Yeah. So uh, and in every job that must be done, there's an element of fun. I also say, interesting to that, I also say students, scholars should not feel rigor. That's an adult emotion. That's something that we should be processing for them, especially in the elementary. Of course, they need to feel a little bit of struggle, but rigor is our responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that's when we start to have students who kind of lose their joy of learning is when everything is just so hard. Well, that's right. our job. That's why we're hired as teachers is to make that a little more palatable for them. So I love that. They'll do more learning if it's more fun. Right. Side story is I remember a time in college where I took a physics course. And in high school, I was a little intimidated with physics. So I took anatomy and physiology instead to get the science credit. <laughs> but in college, I couldn't get away from it because I was trying to go down the science path before I went down the business path. But so I'm like, okay, pull up the bootstraps. I'm going to take physics. And I had a few distractions in my life. This girlfriend that didn't work out <laughs> for the good thing. <laughs> I ended up getting, I knew I was going to fail that course. And part of it was, well, most of it was probably me, but part of it was I had to memorize like 14 formulas, physics for formulas, every test. And they were like t- every two or three weeks, like serious. Anyways, so before I got the F recorded, I withdrew. So I get the W recorded. I mean, we all did that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, a, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. I, right? I never flirted with that line. <laughs> I was a good student for the most part. This is my F story, but... Anyway, so I'm like, I got to get physics done. So I enrolled the next semester and this teacher, he would come in and he would just talk about his smoking habits all the time and defend his smoking habits. This is before the whole smoking thing became out of style. And I was like, okay, what do we got here? You know, are we going to talk about smoking at all? Let's get onto the physics here, right? Anyways, eventually he got to the physics and he says, this whole course is about three formulas and we're going to look at these three formulas in different ways. 
That's really all it is. Memorize these three formulas and you're, you're golden. I'm like, okay. So I memorized the three formulas. And actually that was the easiest course because he just very, very simple. And I put up with all this smoking talk. It's like, fine, if you <laughs> want to do that, formulas. knock awesome. yourself out. I got physics. I got the A. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. Teacher can make it easy and fun. That's right. But Mr. Gomez did that for me. But yeah. well, hey, we want to just kick off this teaching series, a uh, master teacher, right? That's really what we want to focus on. The American classroom needs master teachers at building good citizens. And for those of us in the heritage system, building heroes, right? We need young people to make a difference in our society. And teachers play such a critical role in that. We've talked about the necessary third party concept. Like That's not my idea. That comes from a guy named Vaughn Featherstone that died years ago, but he would talk about the importance of a third party that comes in to support the family and the parents and developing our young people. And that's the role of a teacher, master teacher. So when I say master teacher, I might be going off script here a little bit. What's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of, when you think of this idea of master teacher, a great teacher? I think of somebody that is a good communicator that cares. I go back to that caring quite a bit. That's kind of my theme, like love them, teach them, and hold them accountable, right? So those are my three big things with a teacher. And when I think about it, I kind of think about this situation that I just recently with my staff is I had said, I want you to all write down the person, the scholar, who you think is going to be the most successful. And so they write it down. And then you ask them why. Why is that scholar going to be the most successful? And they write down because they're responsible, they're dependable, they communicate well, they do, you know, all these mm -hmm. things that this scholar does. And then I said, did anyone say it's because they got an A in math or an A in English? Did anyone say those things? And it wasn't the grade. It wasn't the grades that they were getting. It's who they were. And I think the same thing goes for a teacher, right? Who they are. How are they acting in that classroom? How are they connecting with the kids? How do they communicate? They do have to be knowledgeable in their subject, absolutely, or in the mm -hmm. area that they're teaching but I think a great teacher is someone that we see in all of those different areas. They're yeah. a great communicator and they care and they know their stuff. Yeah, I feel like we could have an entire podcast just on this one question. <laughs> right. So it's hard to kind of really hit the nail on the head there. I agree with all of that. One thing that came to mind just as she was talking uh, was passion. You know, I feel like passion kind of encapsulates everything that we want a great teacher to be. If they're passionate about math, their students will feel that. If they're passionate about children, they'll feel that too. That relationship yeah. exists. Our personalities, I often say a blessing and a curse, you know, different personality traits that we have. I maybe was accused of being stubborn as a child. And as I've grown, <laughs> my dad helped me see that it's stubborn when you just want your way but when it's for the good of the group, yes, your stubborn tendencies can actually be a strength. And that's where passion comes in. So he very quickly helped me kind of frame my brain of you're not really stubborn, you're just passionate. Mm -hmm. So passionate, persistence, all of those things, we want our teachers to be stubborn. We want our teachers <laughs> to be passionate and persistent to their own learning, being reflective. But we also want them to vehemently protect the education that's happening in their classrooms, the children that they're in charge of. That needs to be a high priority for them. We can teach a lot of things as administrators. We can teach teachers a lot of things to help them become master teachers. One thing we can't teach is passion and love. And so I feel strongly that, uh, in fact, that's my number one interview question when I interview teachers is, do you love children? We can't really teach that. 
I can teach classroom management, can help you wrap your brain around a math lesson. I can't teach you to love children. And back to your point of this being the third party, they are the most important contributor to a child's success in school. It's not friends. It's not the special schedule. It's not recess. It's the teacher. So we need to make sure we're putting that caliber of teacher in front of our children. And I think passion is probably top for me. And I think I'd go back and add the self-reflective, right? Yes. That you can be a yep. self-reflective person. You can learn from what you're doing. Like if we, if they're not going to listen to some of the feedback or what they're getting, then they're not going to be able to continue to, I guess, grow, right? right? To grow and to be in that situation that they need to be in with those kiddos. Right. We have to be able to reflect on how we can be better. Yeah. Coachable because we all teachable. Yeah, yeah. Coachable and teachable. Mm-hmm. I remember when I came to the education industry, there was this English teacher at the Mesa campus mm-hmm. and she would redo her curriculum every year. Right. But what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm a systems guy, right? Mm-hmm. I like to create a good system, lean it out, lock it in and go. Right. Right. And, yeah. and I saw her redoing it every year, redoing it and and then at the end of the year in the award ceremony, she would get the biggest applause. Right. Like, wow, what's going on here? I, I, Diagnostic. Yeah. 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 Have, you have to be. And your children are never the same. So you get a new group of kids or even in junior high, you have one group of kids in first hour that are very different from your group in third hour. So you have to think quick on your feet and be, be able to diagnose what your students need. Yeah. That was a big piece of what she was doing because I asked her, why are you doing your curriculum all the time? Isn't it good? You've been doing this for 15, 20 years. She goes, well, no, I look at my roster of my incoming mm. students and I talk to their other teachers. I, and she did all of this intel work right. on the students that are coming in. And then it's like, oh, I got heavy demographic of boys and they're rowdy. So <laughs> they're not going to do the Regency thing. We're going to lighten that up a little bit. Right. We're going to bring in a, more, a little more action. We're going to pause the Jane Austen yeah. and we're going to add in. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you did, if you do all that prep ahead of time, then just think how much better you are for those kids. They're going to get that much more out of it because yeah. you don't have to spend time disciplining those rowdy boys because you right. already knew to pause Jane Austen right. from the yeah. beginning. Yep. Yep. And it was interesting seeing her balance the additional work she was putting on herself. And you could feel there was a little bit of exhaustion there. It wasn't, but she was, all that extra work was worth it because she knew that she was giving them the best education that she's going to be able to and bring these characters to life in their lives. Yeah, the connection she must have been able to make with them. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All that that prep work. That's amazing. Yeah, that's neat. Well, and I know each of you, I've spent hours with both of you interviewing teachers and Mm -hmm. we're looking for these master teachers. My dad used to say, well, we're always looking for someone with the it factor. Yeah. Right. You know, who has that magic combination in whatever discipline we're interviewing them. And the America's got talent of teachers. That's what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of people. If you look at Arizona itself, right, we got 1.1 million students in the public school system, district and charters. And I don't know how many certificated teachers we have, but we have enough teachers that hold certificates in Arizona to fill the classrooms, but they're in other industries because Mm -hmm. they just, they've kind of lost it. But then you have the certificated teachers and some people think, well, a master teacher holds a certificate. Maybe, maybe not. You know, a master teacher, they're really soaring above just the basic foundational things like a bachelor's degree or a graduate degree in, you know, content knowledge is important certificates, but it's been fun to kind of zero in on hiring teachers. And maybe that'll be something that we talk to because one of the things we want to do podcast on is 
working at Heritage. What does it mm. mean to work at Heritage or working at Liberty Kids or working at Paul Revere? Because there are teachers that email you and me all the time saying, how do I get in there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a fortress. I can't get in there. I've been trying for years and it's been a little easier now that we're opening new schools, but it'd be nice to communicate to them what we're looking for. And right. so the people that don't want to abide by our teaching standards, because we hold teachers to a much higher standard here, we expect more. Mm, I would um, agree with that. So anyways, we might do that. But this whole concept of master, we're going to explore it a lot. We want to talk about the research of what makes a master teacher. And Shalisa, you're going through a doctorate program now. I am. Looks yep. like you're surviving. <laughs> I'm on the here. downhill I think slide. you're running downhill on that. I am, yes, in the dissertation stage. So, so why I'm don't you tease it. our audience a little bit on what you're learning about research on master teachers? Right. So my research is specifically about principal retention because the only thing worse than teacher attrition right now (laughs) is principal attrition. So we hear a lot about teacher attrition. We don't hear a lot about uh, the leadership. But like I mentioned, I was the ninth principal in 14 years at my building. And when you have that kind of turnover, you have no stability at the campus. So you Mm -hmm. cannot have stability with your teachers. And therefore, guess who's getting the short end of the stick? Student achievement is just in the toilet. So what, because I'm a building principal and teacher retention is of primary importance to me, I want to retain our high level teachers. So I've really been kind of pouring into that a little bit. I've always had two benchmarks for that, three years and seven years. (laughs) That's what I look to. If I can get teachers past year three, because those first three years are rough. If we can get them past year three, we've got them for a couple more years. They've put in enough. They're like, I'm going to give this another shot. And really when you get the hook super deep is after year seven. If you've Mm -hmm. been able to consistently keep them for seven years, then you're looking at a very long-term, highly effective teacher. I mean, the research is not great with that right now. So evidence shows that it takes at least two years for a teacher to really get a handle on classroom management. And that's most of the time where we start to see some cracks form is with classroom management. So really just getting in with them early and quick. Mentors, lead teachers, all professional development, just to help them kind of hone their skills with classroom management. And really the research supports six to seven years to become a proficient teacher. Mm -hmm. So we need to not expect our new teachers in year two to be perfect. We can't pull back our support too soon, Mm -hmm. but that also requires a principal who's gonna stick around long (laughs) enough to actually provide that support to teachers. We're at right now, I would say in Arizona and largely the world, teachers are not getting to that threshold before they just throw their hands Mm -hmm. up and walk away. We have right now between 25% and 33%, somewhere between there are quitting within their first three years of of Mm -hmm. teaching. So that doesn't speak well for the continuity of instruction that has to happen for students to get the instruction that they deserve at a campus level when 33%, a third of our teaching force is leaving before they hit year three. And year three is that first milestone. We got to get them to year three in order to get them. And that you kind of get out of the training mode at that point where you can start working on bigger things. But up to year three, it's survival mode for sure. And then we have another terrible statistic is 50% of our teachers leave within five years. Mm -hmm. So again, that speaks to kind of my seven-year benchmark that I kind of have put on myself. I'm looking at three and seven. Those are my targets. I'm going to get them to year three. I'm not going to pull back my support yet. I get them to year seven. And then they really feel like they've got their legs firmly under them. 
they kind of know what they can do. I feel like we're hitting master teacher status at that point. Maybe they um, find the grade level that they're really Right. You find their enjoying. fit. Absolutely. Yeah. And some can move around, but I will tell you, I moved five different grade levels in my 14 years. And I feel like every time I moved grade levels, I felt like I was starting all over. Mm-hmm. New curriculum, yeah. new age group, everything is new. So you kind of start that clock over mm-hmm. again. So I think if leaders kind of understand what they're getting into, there's also commitment level there. And I'm really looking at that right now is the commitment level and the calling actually. So, you know, people in education often feel like it's their calling Mm -hmm. and whether that's healthy or not, it's proven that that helps with longevity. Yeah. You're willing to kind of put up with some of the things that are not as fun as you would like them and harder than you ever thought it would be because you feel like this is really what you were meant to Mm -hmm. do for your your life. So again, uh, for me, master teachers, two benchmarks. We got to get them to year three. We got to get them to year seven. And then, you know, I feel like they really feel confident with their abilities and they're really to take it ready to take it and run. So those are a couple of future shows then, right? Getting to three, mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. to seven, yep. getting to master teacher. Because right. it's kind of like a pre-master teacher phase right. that takes patience and support from school leadership. Sure. And you guys know, I'd like to ask the the Dan Sullivan question, right? Of the three years out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What's going to be consistently their answer is they want to see support from their principal. Right. Yeah. And some of those are post master teachers. So master teachers still want the support and training and development from their teacher, just in a different way than mm-hmm. the pre master teacher, you know, the pre pre three or pre seven master yeah. teacher. But at the end of the day, they, Master teachers and great principals work together really, really well. Right. Well, and I love some of those statistics you shared because it shows that, hey, it's not just the first year that can right. be a struggle. If you move someone a grade level, if you move someone here, like we're going to, and I don't want to say a struggle, but that you're not that master teacher until a little bit later. So right. for to us to remember that, that, hey, they're still a good teacher. We still have really great teachers in those first few years. Yep. But it's just a learning um, curve. That learning curve yep. and getting them there, that it doesn't just happen just because it's their first year or their second year. Like you're going to need to give that support. But same from families. We love well, support from our families. This is great. This is a good way to kick off this series. There's just a lot to, to uncover on this. And I hope the families, not just the heritage families, but anyone who's a consumer of education, right, to use business speak, can use some of this information to identify good teachers. A lot of people will ask me, well, what's the right school? Should I come to heritage or should I go, you know, where should I go? And I said, don't just automatically come to heritage just because I work here, mm-hmm. right? It might yeah. not be the best place for you. Or if they're out of state, it's like, how do I know? I go, well, go interview the principal and see what they value in a teacher or go talk to the people that have had those teachers. We always did intel work on the teachers in the next grade level, mm-hmm. you know, so we can kind of put our, our say in. I know principals hate that. But <laughs> <laughs> All information is good information. That's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> we may not be able to honor it always, but it's good information. It is good oh. information. Well, we just want to wrap up here with a few little takeaways or if there's anything else you want to toss in. And I love one of the things that I gleaned from this is, you know, the different ways to look at master teachers and how it's easy and fun. And I hope people can see that from uh, the discussion here. But anyway, anything that you want to add or any key takeaway that you would hope a listener would, would be able to glean from this discussion? I think that a key takeaway for me is just how much we can see, I guess, the love and the care that we put into a classroom and the passion that those teachers put into a classroom, that, that really is their their life. They, most of them, I would have to say, 
do feel like it's a calling that you talked mm-hmm. about, that it's a calling to be there. And that as we look at trying to find, whether you're someone who's trying to find a master teacher or trying to find a, have a good teacher for your kid, whatever it is, to look for those, I guess, those qualities in that teacher that we're looking for someone who really feels called to it and that they're going to be able to put that care into it that they need to. So that's yeah, the care away. and the care and the work for sure. sure. Um, so that's also something I hit on with my interviews is this is the hardest work you'll ever do. I need them to know that, yeah. but it also will be worth it. And I guess my big takeaway and what I'm passionate about is, you know, our best and our brightest, it's again, research, they're leaving within three years. So as administrators, I feel like it's our job to make an impossible job possible. So we need to get things out of their way so they really can do what we've hired them to do. And that can be an entire podcast also all on its own of what really is our role as leadership so that teachers are freed up to do the job that they are expected Mm -hmm. to do, which is teach and reach children. So that's what I want my teachers doing. I will do all of the dirty work so that they can really hone their skills and really focus, laser focus on teaching and reaching children. No, that's great. I like that. Well, thank you. Well, there's master teachers all over, right? There's master teachers in our homes, in our districts of charters, privates. And whenever we come across them, we need to thank them. We need to express gratitude to them. And we don't do it enough. We try to here in our system, but... Mm -hmm. I don't know that we do that enough or as effectively. Maybe there's some more ideas that we can do to show them gratitude. And I know that they're so grateful. One thing that comes up in our system is a new teacher comes in from the outside and they have the first student that comes up after a lesson and says, hey, thank you for that lesson. That was great. <laughs> it shocks them. <laughs> they get a little whiplash what? there. They're like, see? What? That's right. What happened? We need to be grateful for these master teachers. They've gone through a lot of years of, of trying different things and working it out. But Grateful for them. Anyways, thank you for joining me here today on this show and and exploring this topic, kicking off this whole Master Teacher Series, and appreciate you sharing your expertise here. As usual, we, like everybody, want you to rate us and give us a thumbs up on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We'll have a Facebook group that you can like and share. And of course, if you're interested in learning more about our sponsor, Liberty Kids or Heritage Academy, we'll have all those links in our show notes. But again, Kim, Shalisa, thank you. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Discover the power of education and achieving the American dream. Join hosts Jared Taylor and Lindsay Crosland on American Classroom, Stories of Building a Civil Society, the show dedicated to exploring the dynamic range of education options available to parents and students. We engage with teachers, experts, and parents to discuss safe schools, ways to capture vital opportunities for youth, and strategies to multiply our children's talents. Heritage Academy is dedicated to youth, their growth and development. The purpose of education is to build strong character. Strong character is reflected in strong families, strong communities, and a strong nation.